Today's episode of Hold That Podcast is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can listen at gotomeetings.com slash tips. That's gotomeetings.com slash tips. Hey, what's up, y'all? It is Tuesday, April 7th, here on the Hold That Podcast podcast. Uh, we are recording a brand new episode. I am your host, T-Bob Bear of uh, Off the Bench, a radio show uh, that you can check out if you're so inclined. And I am joined, as always, by Brody Miller of The Athletic. And I should mention that this is an athletic podcast. So if you go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, you will get a great discount deal that I am not remembering the exact numbers on right now, but I know that uh, essentially you get it for like a cup of coffee a month. And trust me when I say there is no better sports writing out there than The Athletic right now. And uh, take advantage of the deal, and it helps us as well if you're an LSU fan out there and you enjoy this podcast. Uh, We actually have some stuff to talk about this week, but first, let me welcome in uh, my co-host and a very talented writer himself, Brody. What's up, bro? How you doing, T-Bob? I I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get into a zone of this is all just normal now. So I'm like, what we're the? I think we're coming up on a full month, so of basically living at home and not leaving. So like at least you go to the office every day, but now I don't even yeah. remember what the real world is like. So I'm just in this weird routine of just like walking the dogs in the morning and then like starting cocktail hour by four and like working in between and all that. And it's just this weird thing, like watching, rewatching the OJ documentary at night every night with like the girlfriend, stuff like that. So like I'm curious how you're doing because at least you get to go to the office. Yeah, it is. You know, it's I, I don't know, man, I'm. I maybe you're just catching me on a bad day. I'm kind of losing my mind with all this stuff. And and the going to the office stuff is nice. Like, I think it's nicer than I realize. And I don't think I'm overly exposed to risk because I only see three people, three to six people total. And nobody makes contact with each other. I'm wiping down things constantly, like twice a show, sometimes three times. Um, but I don't know. It's it, just all this is driving. It's like I said, it's just driving me crazy, dude. Like, I cannot stop having a dream about this stupid virus. And it's not like, and it's not like anybody getting sick or anything out of stream. It's like the most annoying pedestrian dreams where I'm just like worried about like, oh, is that disinfected? Or like, oh, am I carrying it right now? Like, it, it's, it's just, it's, 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 it's annoying the living hell out of me right now, to be honest. But you know what? You know what? It's all good. It's all good. Instead of getting overwhelmed by the big picture, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to say we're going to. I'm just trying to remind myself to focus on the task at hand, narrow in, take care of what immediately in front of your face, and just take things one at a time. But yes, I am, and I think this is all just heightened because I'm going to have a baby in the next two weeks. Um, it's a guarantee. Ooh, that, yeah, that like, is a key factor to mention. Two weeks. Yeah, if it doesn't happen two weeks from today, uh, we are planning to go in there and and and, and do it. So like, yeah, yes, yes, no. My wife's telling me the C-section is two weeks from today. It's quite literally two weeks from today. So if it doesn't come <laughs> naturally, then we're gonna go in there. We gotta plan C-section, whatever. So like, I'm just I think because I'm in the final stretch here. Because like I said, my biggest fear is getting corona or something 
right when the baby's born and then they literally take the baby from you and quarantine you for 10 days um i'm just so close that i think it's all just ratcheting up so it's a little crazy dude yeah that was a hell of an answer for i think what was just kind of a general like hey this is gonna be fun like what's going on lady man How's no, this is therapy life? man this but is therapeutic <laughs> but it's you know it's 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 okay. It's definitely not all bad, though. Um, I've been watching season two of Ozark, and I find that I actually, while it's a bit absurd, I actually enjoy a lot of what Ozark is putting out there. See, Abby, I've been I've been watching Devs, which I know you have as well. Devs has been yep. my go-to. Then just basically, because I'm a movie nerd, as you know, so just watching a lot of old movies that I didn't normally don't have time to sit down and watch, or even some of the new ones that are coming out for like twenty dollars early. But then, yeah, my, my big project has been getting Claire to finally watch uh, O.J. Made in America, and that has been, I mean, this, this isn't an original take. It's a rather boring podcast, but that, that thing really is a masterpiece. It's crazy. So, yeah, things are I'm going, go on. It made y'all's top 10 sports movies of all time? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I, I think it should. I mean, it's obviously one of those things where it's like, is, is uh is Die Hard a Christmas movie when you're calling OJ a sports movie. But, yeah, it's 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 a weird thing. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the best – I mean, it's one of the few documentaries well, I've ever been like, oh, that should be a Best Picture nominee, not just like a Best Documentary nominee. Like, that movie wow. is perfection. All right, well, I need to see it. I actually haven't seen it. So, um, yeah, I know. You got me – that's a hell of a pitch there, Brody. Um, it's perfect. Also – I, I hate to almost engage with this, but for what it's worth, like I don't see how Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. I don't see how I mean, it is. It's, but I, I, it's, 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 it's such so, a tired oh debate God, that I don't even go. want to know, do it. I know. I just, we don't want to be those cliche guys. I know, but like it's it is kind of oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. I'm gonna pull out right now. Uh, yeah, all right, because yeah. we do have some LSU news to talk about this week. Uh, LSU got a big grad transfer. Um, some personal Maybe news for Coach O getting out yeah. there. <laughs> uh, some over under win totals from Vegas that we got our hands on. Uh, and then, you know, if it comes down to it, we'll kind of see what we're doing time-wise, but maybe or maybe not get into some mailbag as well. But we'll start with the big story, which was last Thursday. Uh, Brody, you've been on this story since day one. LSU officially lands one of the premier grad transfers in the country. They get linebacker Jabril Cox out of uh, North Dakota State, right? State's the good yes, one? correct. Okay, yeah, there you go. Perfect. What was your reaction when you saw the news? Well, I mean, I think... You have to just start with one simple thing, is that LSU's arguably probably biggest weakness on the entire team going into 2020 just kind of got flipped on its head, and suddenly, I'm not going to call it a strength, but you look at it completely differently than you did five days ago, right? I mean, Jabril Cox is, I mean, honestly, this might sound a little hyperbolic, but just in terms of the sure thing nature of it, just in terms of, like, you know what you're getting Pro, uh, probably a bigger get than Joe Burrow. I mean, you add like the Joe Burrow positional thing and all that. <laughs> I said in the context of I love in it, the dude. context no, I love of it. the moment. In the hey, context of let it breathe. Yeah. I love it. Continue because like when Joe Burrow was coming in, you had no idea if he was any good. I know he's a quarterback, so that's always going to be more. But like Jabril Cox is a more established, higher profile player right now than Joe Burrow yeah, was. That's that, just pr- that's probably completely a fact. fair. That, that is yeah. a fact. So, and, and and at least, you know, with that, bait, the, the Joe Burrow thing, it's like, oh, well, they had three quarterbacks already. They didn't know if they loved him, but it's not like it would have been a disaster necessarily. I mean, LSU was in trouble at linebacker. They were moving, they removed a receiver to linebacker. They moved a safety to linebacker. They they were trying basically everything, and now all of a sudden you look at it, and I'm not saying he's going to come in here and be like a buckus winner or something like that, but he's probably one of the 10 best linebackers in the SEC, probably higher than that, probably top five. 
and you're going from having maybe one confident linebacker and then six or seven wild cards to two linebackers you feel pretty confident in, Jabril Cox and Damone Clark. You feel pretty confident there. And then you have those five, six other wild cards that can kind of just develop at their own rate now. So suddenly you look at it as, oh, you actually have depth. So I think that's kind of the big change here. Then you add the obvious on-field factor that he's a very speedy, fast, modern-day linebacker. So it's a huge So win. are are you throwing um... – that's interesting. So you're not putting Micah Baskerville in that uh, kind of confident linebacker group. And the only reason I say that is because that is a yeah. guy who has played like actual legit time up to legit. I gave you the. <laughs> I liked it. No, yeah, we're in Cajun yeah. <laughs> Actual legit, legit time. Uh, I'm going like, to start like, using like that big, all like the time big, <laughs> But like in big games, like Baskerville's actually played since True. since he was a freshman. So. I guess why leave him out of that uh, confident list? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, you, you, you could at least trust him. But I mean, he, I think when you talk about Micah Baskerville, and hey, he might prove me wrong, it happens quite a bit. But I think you, you, you label him in the, in the trustworthy cog kind of category. But you're not, mm. I, I don't think anyone on that staff will tell you Micah Baskerville is necessarily a, a guy with a lot of upside, a guy who's going to be like a major plus at linebacker. He's probably more just kind of a, a guy you can put in there. So I'm sure if like a – Let's say hypothetically Marcel Brooks adjusts pretty quickly, right? And it, it looks like he knows what he's doing. I think you'd rather have his upside even with his flaws on the field than a, a Micah Baskerville where he's kind of just doing his job. But I don't know. I could be wrong on that. And Maybe the staff completely disagrees. Yeah, but no, I mean, I I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I think there's a lot of um, validity there if you look how they've actually implied, uh, how they've used Baskerville through the years. Um, I want to go back to Cox, though. Uh, because you you mentioned how it feels almost like a surefire thing. I mean, this is a cat. I think during his time at North Dakota State, so off the top of my head, I think it was like a thirty-one record. Um, I believe he was freshman conference player of the year. Who's also conference player of the year, uh, two-time first-team All-American, maybe three. I think Correct. he might have made a freshman All-American Two. team. Yeah. Um, he made a freshman. He was yeah. up for best freshman. Yes, and then he was up for best freshman of the year overall. He's been all kinds of awards. His stats are great. Um, he looks like a guy that can step in there immediately and have an impact. But where it becomes interesting, we, we've talked about a lot how challenging it was for Joe Burrow to get used to uh, being a leader of that offense, to get used to that team just in a matter of a couple months over the summer. I don't even know that Jabril Cox is going to have that summer. So, like, can he step in? Because I guess, where's your head at with Cox? Do you expect him to be the Mike making the calls? So, I have two things to say to that. One, just to follow your question, I I wouldn't be surprised. I've heard from some people that, like, that might be the plan. But he's never played Mike before. So, it is kind of okay. tricky to assume. It's So, I, I think it's possible. I'm not arguing that. But, I mean, I, I, I don't think it would be fair to assume a guy who never even played Mike at the FCS level is suddenly going to be a Mike at LSU. But... Yeah, my assumption was always that he'd come in either be a Sam or a Will. And then you also have to view it as, like, as much as we talk LSU's a 4-3 now, we're all obviously aware of the fact that it's 2020. Like, they're probably going to play more 4-2-5 than anything. So, in reality, you're probably going to have two linebackers on the field most of the time. So, I don't know what the positions are in that sense. But mm. I would assume it's Damone Clark maybe, as long as he's progressing like you hope, is more of the Mike and, and maybe Jabril Cox, who's more of a speedy coverage pass rush type, can be yeah. more of the, the, the Will or Sam. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm 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 guilty of just kind of looking at his resume, and then we interviewed him, and the kid just exudes so much confidence, and he's an honor yeah. student, and you look at that resume, you just think like, okay, that's a guy, he's an upperclassman, so he's not going to be intimidated by this. Like he's someone who can step in immediately and got him handle that mental workload. Um, if okay, Definitely. so 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 if that. he's the Sam though, but if but let's say because it's four three, let's say he's the Sam or the Will is. Damone Clark the mic then like like who 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 do you think they would trust in that position group to make those calls? Well, yeah, and I think there's a clear caveat that I will just flat out admit I don't have the answer to, and I don't know if you do because it's something I never we never really got we only got to talk to O once in the spring and it was like the initial one where you're asking a lot of housekeeping questions and we never got to talk to him again and ask him they're like the real things we want to know so we didn't get to really ask him you know like what is your confidence level in Damone Clark becoming the mic something like that so I don't know the real answer there because it really depends on. Does, is he yeah. mentally progressing? You know from a physical point of view. Damone Clark is like, I mean, he's like a 6'3", 250-pound speedy freak. I mean, like he actually is just a, a dominant force, but I just don't know how, how much he's I just, progressed uh, dude, in the I just sense, always, that was always his question. I just always go back to the Damone Clark bull rush against Georgia in the SEC championship. Yep. It's either Georgia or Oklahoma. I get those two games kind of confused because same colors, same stadium. My brain just kind of like – molds it all together but i mean this guy lined up Same over man. an sec guard and just got under his pads and bench pressed him into jake Fromm. so like I, I can't wait to see physically like you said if he can get it mentally his ceiling remains high i, I i'll ask oh for what it's worth next time we have him on the show we have a good relationship Definitely. with him. He's Thank still you. been coming on because uh, that's a great question. I, I did ask him this week. I couldn't ask him about Cox specifically uh, yeah. because he hadn't signed the letter yet. So I asked, like, in generality, like, um, oh, and John, I'm just remembering I should have gotten you the sound ahead of time. So next time, hold those podcasts, all that <laughs> podcast listeners. Uh, but, but I asked him, Inside like, you baseball. know, how have y'all had so much uh, success and the grad transfer market and and filling needs and uh and and he actually went on to credit specifically bill bush again in this yeah. instance bill bush just continues to hit home runs for coach o on on the recruiting trail and and one thing about the cox thing that makes it feel even more can't miss to me it's not just what jabril cox has done but it's lsu's resume in this department um, obviously, you look at a Cole Tracy and a Joe Burrow, and those are the premier examples of this. Um, like they're they're absolute home runs. They, they we've talked about it on the show. They equate to direct wins and losses. You don't go ten and three without those two. You obviously don't go fifteen and zero without Burrow. Who knows if Coach O's on the hot seat? Is he fired? Is he still the coach? Like it's just a completely different reality in which you don't get those guys. But it's not just them. Uh, Terrence Alexander gave you. legit reps and and depth which is a lot of times what you're looking for in that regard um while not grad transfers Thad Moss and Braden Fajoko both were key contributors to those 10 and 15 win seasons as well like I I I obviously Damian Lewis out of junior college yes uh, yes okay and I obviously don't follow all other schools like I follow LSU um so I'm always running the risk of being very kind of egocentric when it comes to my takes but LSU has to be among like the top five top top five yeah I'll say top five in the country when it comes to taking advantage of that transfer market to fill specific needs and so when I look at their resume 
and and it's not one hundred percent. Like there's Jonathan Giles, right? And and that's what everybody keeps like. I was, I was just going to mention him, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. but but the average is still great then, right? That's one miss, and and, no. and so w- when I combine their resume with Cox's resume. It just looks like another home run at a direct position of need for uh, this LSU team. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think you're actually making me think of a story I want to write now, which is like, why is LSU having yeah. such a success rate there? Because that isn't, I mean, that's not the norm. There's there's more failures in that department, I would imagine, than there is successes. And, you know, it's kind of, there's because there's, there's usually a reason for some of these things. But yeah, and, and even to go back to what we were saying about Micah Baskerville, things like that, it's like, well, maybe now that you have a Jabril Cox, you actually who is a game changer on the field, right? And you have Jamone Clark, who in theory is another, you know, when he's at his best, another game changer. Maybe you do feel better about having a Micah Baskerville as your third because yep. then it's like you have your two game changer types and you have your your you know your more stable guy. And then it goes. So I think when I look at you know you asked me about things like you know how how confident you are and things like that. I mean, he's a veteran presence, and you're saying that. You know, he's losing his spring and he's losing the summer, which could hurt his ability to step right in and be, you know, a main guy. Yeah, that's true. But it's also there's something to the fact that he's actually has an advantage because he's actually experienced. He's the most oh, ready. That's fair. You know, he's already played on. Yep. Now, granted, it's a lower level. I think that's very worth noting. But yeah, I mean, if anything, he's the most ready to step in and just play no matter the situation. So and, and actually, I wanted to discuss the Bill Bush, Bush thing for a second because that's mentioned in my story on him. And I think that's a fascinating wrinkle in this is that. Bill Bush, the LSU safeties coach, I mean, he's not necessarily on any list or anything like that as one of the top recruiters in the country. It's not – you don't think of Bill Bush and think, like, elite recruiter. That's just not his vibe. But, I mean, he has been an essential piece. And he was – he was. I mean, Bo Pelini gets a lot of credit for Jabril Cox because that relationship has been there for a long time. But yeah. Bill Bush had one thing that kind of sealed the deal, and that is that he has a long history of recruiting American Samoan players and Polynesian yeah. players. And Jabril Cox's mother, Lotu, is American Samoan. And she's not exactly a very talkative woman. She's not somebody who's like was a key part of the recruiting process for most schools. But he was the one who was able to get through to her, actually get her to talk, and that was a huge part of the trust factor in them actually sending him. So, and now you look at Bill Bush's resume. When Bill Bush is arguably the key to getting Joe Burrow. I mean, that's the truth. I think he was a huge part of that. He was the key to getting a guy like Apu Aika, and, and he also was the key to Sony Fanua, which isn't as big a name, but those are two more Polynesian players. And yeah. I think you know some of the biggest gets in the recent years at LSU, Bill Bush has been the key too. So I think that's just something that's worth highlighting. Yeah, it's interesting the Polynesian connection because Bill Bush does not look Polynesian himself. I, I don't. I, I don't know. May, maybe he is. I, I did. I did look up though because <laughs> I've seen Apu Aika get mad about this on Twitter before. So I think it's worth pointing out. I used to have yeah. the um, – I used to kind of use Polynesian and Samoan interchangeably. And you didn't do this. You didn't do this, to be paid, to be clear. But I used to I used use to, Samoan though, yeah. and Polynesian interchangeably. Um, Samoa is just uh, a, a country – in that Polynesian triangle, right? So you got New Zealand, exactly. Samoa, Tonga, Tokelau, Niu. But but I guess why I point that out is because I've seen Apu Ike on Twitter. People called Samoan. He's a very proud Tongan. Um, but before whatever reason, Bill Bush, as you said, has done a very good job of connecting with these Polynesian American families, getting them to trust him, and, um, and and it is paid direct dividends for LSU from a uh, from from a football perspective. Oh, and and, and the other thing I wanted to add there, Brody. Um, absolutely, yeah. 
Well, explain the a, a, explain the uh, the Bo Pelini Jabril Cox connection for those that may not know. Absolutely. So, I mean, Bo Pelini, as everyone here knows, was the head coach at Youngstown State for the past, I believe, seven years, and it's actually kind of crazy that I didn't know this when he first signed, but I learned this is that. Jabril Cox's first snap ever at linebacker in college was when Chris Board, who now was in the NFL, a very successful linebacker, went down um, went down in you know, week six or whatever against Youngstown, and who came in a redshirt freshman Jabril Cox, who you know they had a lot of expectations for, but was not ready by their notions at all. First snap, you know the defensive coordinator is like, let's get him involved, right? And he goes up and gets a sack on his first career play. And that was against Youngstown State. He had two sacks. He had wow. a huge stop in overtime to force a missed field goal <laughs> oh, to no beat way. Youngstown State. That's the first, And it's against Bo Pelini. And they played each other, obviously, three times in their career. I'm pretty sure North Dakota State won all of them. And after their 2019 meeting, Pelini kind of pulled him aside after. And they had talked, apparently. And I think Cox, his father, was telling me he kind of has a history of kind of trying to build relationships with coaches he respects because he just never knows when he might need, like, you know, that might come in handy, where he could learn from, et cetera. So he always tried to have a relationship with Bo Pelini. But after their 2019 meeting, you know, Bo Pelini kind of stopped him and congratulated him and was like, hey, I just think you're a really special player. And then even in his post-game interview, Pelini was like, I think Cox is an NFL guy. I think he's re- really good in coverage. It, like, he, if, if you don't want him on your team, I don't know if you know anything. I don't know much about football, but, like, I mean, you don't know much about football if you don't want him on your team, basically yeah, what I'm saying. And yeah, then, for sure. You know, five months later, he's on his team. So that's a huge part. <laughs> did uh, did Bo Pelini have any inkling? That the, no, no, that was five months previous to him getting the job. So he had no inkling that he was going to get that LSU yeah, yeah. physical coordinator job. That would be a great As far as we theory. know, but I wonder... I know if we want to go conspiracy theory mode, I think it might. We okay? Yeah. We know that his payout money, his buyout money from Nebraska, stopped at the end of this season. So he might have always. I don't know. I'm just speculating, and please, I don't want this to be you know thrown at me. But there, you never know. Like he might have known though that this was going to be his last year at Youngstown, right? Like he might have known that he was going to yeah. once his buyout money was out that he was going to go try to get another job somewhere because I mean you want to keep you know, your income coming in so Makes I would sense. think maybe he knew that and he was kind of developing that relationship but at the same time wow. everybody expected Jabril Cox to go to the NFL like I, I think when Bo Pelini made those comments and he mentions the NFL like three times in those comments he thought he was going pro Jabril yeah. Cox's own teammates told me like yeah we all assumed he was going pro like it wasn't even like a so we were, we were surprised he went to LSU, but we weren't like surprised he left, so it didn't make any difference to us. So I don't know if he was necessarily campaigning for that. Yeah, um, actually, and for what it's worth, Mike Dettelier, who uh, covers the draft, does an excellent job. Louisiana guy. Um, yeah, glad you brought this up. He had Jabril, what was it, 75th on his big board? 77, yeah. Wow, yep. wow. 77th overall had he come out this season, and that's the guy that you got. Again, so when you combine Cox's resume – LSU's resume and what NFL scouts think of him. Great job by this LSU staff. And they said they were going to do it, right? They said we signed 22. Yeah. We're a little upset, but we still got some, you know, some target positions for grad transfers and Cox versus Matchman. Now, what about the those last two spots then? Yeah. Uh, are they still pursuing a quarterback and are they still pursuing offensive line? Let's put it this way. I know offensive line, yes. The answer is yes. But, I mean, I've heard from people around LSU that 
they are not very pleased with what the offensive line market is right now in that sense. Mm-hmm. There's nobody really jumping out. You know, for example, Brandon Council from Akron was one name that like was visiting, I believe, or at least was rumored to be. But then I heard some LSU people say, like, I don't know if that's actually happening. So I, I don't think LSU really loves anybody in that market. And that... And again, this ranks really low on the problems with the coronavirus going on right now. But I think if you're looking, that that's one other rep- repercussion of it is that so many people transfer after spring, right? You learn where you're going to stand in a lineup, Ooh, for example, or you learn, you know, or else you would have learned how they feel about the offensive line. You know, they, maybe they would have learned they're confident with Jason Hines. Who knows? You, every team and every player is kind of losing that knowledge they would have learned. So now there's probably no new players joining the transfer portal that maybe wouldn't have. And that, that might have been really helpful in the offensive line market. And and I'll, I'll actually just flat out admit, I don't know if they're going to look at the quarterback market, but I, I don't know if you really need to. There might be other places you could find a better use for that. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that final spot, but they definitely want an offensive lineman. Whether it be an offensive tackle, whether it be a center, whether it be both, I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, and 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 so that you know, I mentioned interviewing uh, Ogeron earlier this morning, and I asked him about what what was the biggest position of concern. And you know, I was setting him up, and I thought probably linebacker O line, and sure enough, uh, the main thing that he highlighted was offensive line, saying that um, you know he thinks they have a chance to be good, but that's the spot where they're going to need the most guys to just step up that maybe haven't done it before. So, um, and, and I With guess the quarterback yes, who's never started. Yes, so that, that's where it sucks, right? That's where it gets kind of compounded is that one of the greatest things you can have when working a new quarterback is a great offensive line. Well, conversely, one of the worst things is an offensive line with a lot of question marks because uh, that can they can make the quarterback look worse. It, it can make everybody look worse because uh, it all starts up front, Brody. The game is won or lost it. in the trenches, in case you didn't know. Um, anything else? I got Andrew a quick question for you, T-Bot. Yes, hit me. QQ. I got a question for you. As I'm actually, this is like, this is going to sound sarcastic, but actually, I'm curious. Do you think you would have been better or worse as an offensive lineman in a modern offense? Uh, probably worse. Uh, pass blocking was not okay. my strong suit, and all right. it's all pass blocking now. Uh, that said, if I just want to be competitive and try to defend my honor here. Um, maybe in this alternate world, I grew up pass blocking more. And so that, instead see, of growing up run blocking, I'm a better pass blocker because it was what I was trained to do my entire life. Uh, but I love in this it. alternate world, that's like when people are like, I still have T-Rex arms. And so I'm still probably not any good. <laughs> All right. Fair. Cause it's like when people are always like, well, like Tiger's better than Jack. And I agree. But then maybe Jack Nicholas might've been better if he was growing up with the technology and like athleticism yeah. advancements that Tiger Woods had. So it's like an unfair debate. So I love that you, you really thought this out for me. Yes. Uh, you're, you're, you're welcome. But no, honestly, I think it would be worse. I, I was not a good pass blocker and it's all they did. But uh, yeah, let me just like go try to maul a guy. I'm, I'm into it. Um, as Al thought that was funny. What's up, baby? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say. All right. Uh, yeah, and look, hey. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I don't, no, I don't no, have no, any I kids We're all good. We, yeah. This is CoronaCast uh, 2020. Everybody's going through this. Um, so, yeah. Uh, okay. Actually, I guess, speaking of families, um, I, I just think we need to mention Woof. this because we are an LSU podcast. Uh, but it came out the in the news that coach Joe is getting a divorce. Um, ever since I've done radio, I've 
Well, I hesitate to say this because, you know, I checked the tapes. Maybe I have somewhere in my past. I have some early radio memories of stories like this coming about. Maybe it was like Sean Payton or something being like, you know, I don't really talk about that kind of stuff on air. So I don't feel like in my career I've ever really dove, in, dove into this type of stuff. Um, and I do have a relationship with those. So maybe that's just like subconsciously also influencing this. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't have a lot to say on it. People get divorced. It happens all the time. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that's almost different from a Sean Payton, right, is that and it's a weird thing, but with a college football program, like, the role of the wife actually, like, means something. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's not true. just like they're like, like oh, it's your job and you go home and they like, that's a good way to put it. Like, they are, like, they're kind of small parts of the recruiting process and they're, they're usually, like, key parts of, like, kind of being, like, a mother to some of the players. I know, for example, Megan Mullen, I know has, like, a really close relationship with a lot of her players at both schools where Dan Mullen coached. You know, like, Kelly Ogeron was a very present figure in the day-to-day life of LSU football. So, and it's just a weird thing. And again, I have no real input. I don't know what what's happening in their life. I don't want to speculate. I don't even want to, even if I knew things, I probably wouldn't yeah. want to say them. You know, it's just, it's not our business. But it's just, I think it's surprising to most people. And the reason it's such news is because they were a very you know, present yes. couple and like they're very were public, ESPN very public features. Like after every big yeah, win, who was right there by his side? Absolutely. I mean, I looked back on my national championship gamer that night, and you know, a key part of my story was about Ed Ogeron walking off the field, the last two people left in the building with with Kelly. You know, and and how and then he was with his sons, and it was like how much family and all these things were a key part of all this. So it, it, it's weird. And then you also add like. There were ESPN features on Kelly's, you know, fight with her back and her, her issues where she yeah. was close to, I mean, it, very serious issues and, and you know, Ed Ogeron and her relationship through that. So it was all very public and that's why it's news. That's the only reason we even are mentioning it, I guess is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I think it comes to the territory. Um, I'm, I mean, in terms of this being covered, right? Like, I don't think that anybody can be upset about this no you know whatever like like not upset in like a coldly professional way obviously if i'm the one getting divorced and people are talking about it it's just naturally human to get upset uh but in the like cold logical way you have to accept that um i'm a very highly paid public official are are they technically state employees it doesn't matter they're public officials yeah they are and and so it's going to be uh it's 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 going to be news but you know man I'm a child of divorce. Um, now it was when it was like right when I was like at the end of high school, beginning of college, and honestly, it's it's been it's been good. Both both my parents are happier now. Everybody's all good. Sometimes people really love each other. They grow apart. There's nothing more natural. It happens all the time. Watch marriage. This podcast story. hits everything, man. Big marriage story, guys, on this podcast. We're two huge fans. Yeah, and you know what? It is a happy ending, all things considered. Um, Couldn't agree even more. Even though. I remember I went on Andy Staples' podcast the day before I went to see that with Claire, and he was like, it was like this big thing, and he's like, wait, 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 we need updates, like, next week of, like, are you still together after you just saw Marriage Story with your new girlfriend? And you know what? We both came out more optimistic, so. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've told you my Marriage Story uh, stories. It, story. It, it, yeah, exactly right. It, it's like the whole... Hold that, that podcast <laughs> podcast. Oh, wait, my headphones fell off, so I can't hear you. Uh, yeah, you got there a second before I did. One, I made one some great jokes while it was off. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh man, we were truly uh, in sync there. Um, yeah, I, I felt like I learned real lessons from that movie. I, 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 I still feel bad that 
Adam Driver's Broadway play didn't work out, but um, me too. I think about it quite often. <laughs> I mean, you worked your whole life, and he finally got there, and then it just kind of blew up in his face. But uh, but yeah, but you know, everybody learns some valuable lessons in the end. Um, so that was. I wonder why I love this show, T. Bob, because all I'm thinking about the entire time we record is just John, our producer, listening in, <laughs> and him just probably grimacing, just like, where are they going right now? We're like what? We're talking marriage story. We're on divorce yes, here. Ma- yeah, so that's ma- my favorite part of the show. Marriage story to me, the main thing that I learned is what Adam Driver had to come to grips with, which is the idea of being selfish when you're not actively trying to be, or even realizing that you are. And uh, and if we, if, you know, if we all take a look in our mirror, I think it could benefit our uh, all of our relationships a bit. Um, now, couldn't agree more. Now, uh, I'm just gonna. I, I try to think of a segue. I couldn't get there. I know. I, I can tell your, your, your wheels were turning. Like, how can I segue to betting line? I had steam pouring out of my ears. Uh, but that is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about over-under <laughs> win totals for Vegas. Brody, you got the numbers. What's LSU's over-under for next year? Or th- well, this year? okay, so Caesars came out with – yeah, so Caesars came out their win totals yesterday, and then – Bet Online came out with theirs today. I think we're going to go with Caesars over Bet Online. I prefer those over some of those online ones, those online books where you're not too confident. Can't trust so websites. You have a different number. I've always said that. Cannot trust websites at all. Yeah. Uh, well, except for the athletic. Subscribe to the athletic.com. <laughs> yeah, I know. Subscribe to the athletic. Um, but so anyway, we'll go with Caesars. And uh, just so if, in case you have a different line at your book, uh, the over under at LSU for LSU is nine wins. Yeah. And that is a fascinating number because. It's nine and a half at a lot of books, but I actually think nine is a genius line because it's nine and a half. Okay, nine and a half, you're basically deciding, do you think they win 10 games or nine games? And I think almost any projection right now would tell you like nine and three, if you're just, is probably the most likely scenario. I mean, 10 and two is very, very possible. It's probably the second most likely, but nine wins is probably the most. Wait, so are these regular season win totals or do these take the bowl into account? Yes, this is 12 games. Oh, so no bowl game. Yeah. Correct. Oh. oh, okay. So I think it's a great line, though. And here's what's fascinating about it: it's nine wins, but the over is plus one ten, which means it's more favorable odds. You'll get more if you put a hundred down. You win one hundred ten, and it's minus one thirty for the under, which means in theory they're getting more num- more money on the under. So the reason I think that's a genius line before we get into actually what we think about it, I'm just a gambling nerd and I think it's worth pointing out is that I bet what happened there is most books have nine and a half, and nine and a half. Based on what we're seeing with like you know nine being probably the most likely number and how they're getting uh, like more bets on the under is that if you go nine and a half you're probably going to get crushed on the under get like seventy percent of your bets on the yeah. under and then you're really exposed and all of a sudden if you if they went ten you're in, you're in trouble so nine's genius because one you'll probably get even money on both sides you would imagine or pretty close to it but it's also probably going to get more action because for betters nine gives you protection because yeah. nine means. If they win nine and three, you push. You should. But if you, you yeah, but if it's, nobody if loses right, anything, we yeah, all so. go home happy. I think it's a that's just my own little rant because I'm a gambling nerd, but I think that's a great number. No, that's a fa- dude. That's a fascinating angle, and I had not considered. And uh, again, because they know exactly what they're doing. When you look at LSU's schedule, nine win. I mean, nine wins makes complete sense. I mean, it just it just does. Uh, I think that out of your first five games, I think you've got four easy wins. You start with UTSA at home. Um, you got Texas, which I'm skipping over for now. 
Then you have Rice at home, Ole Miss at home, Nickel State at home. So that's four wins right there. Uh, LSU at Florida, I, I'll say that's a loss. LSU at Arkansas, win. Uh, Mississippi State at home, win. I'll give Alabama the, a win there. I mean, I'll say that's a win for Alabama. It's a loss for LSU. And then uh, I think they beat South Carolina. So, so really where my head's at is I see all wins, save for Florida and Alabama. I think you're going to be hard-pressed to beat. And then out of Texas at home, Auburn on the road, and A&M on the road, it's going to be real tough to 3-0 that, that trio. Exactly, and I think that's the key way to look at it is you have to view it through the five marquee games, right? And I think it's a thing I bring up on the show all the time, so I'm sorry, but I think there's, it's this funny thing how sometimes people look at the, tw- the the even year schedule as easier for LSU because Alabama is at home and Texas or whoever your non-conference game is at home, so it seems easier to people. Cause it's like, well, oh shoot, your biggest game, your toughest games at home, you should have an advantage. But and again, you I know you agree with me on this is that. Alabama, I mean, obviously they won last year, but history says, and I think it'll be similar this year with LSU replacing so much, you just kind of have to factor that in as a loss, regardless of home or away. And if anything, you and I kind of agree, Alabama actually gets up more for a game at LSU at Tiger Stadium, Saban going back to Tiger Stadium. You know, Alabama almost always no, wins the those numbers, games yeah, by more. I was about to say, so, the numbers are so weird in this series. The road team wins more. Uh, Alabama actually owns LSU in Death Valley. It's really depressing. We don't need to talk about it. But, yes, that, that is yeah. the numerical fact, unfortunately. So anyone talking about, like, that's easier, that's not because that's a guaranteed loss. So now you already have – not guaranteed, but assumed loss. So you already have a loss – and you have these three away games against what seem to all be at least top 15 teams, maybe even top 12, top 10, I don't know, of Auburn, A&M, and Florida, all at really tough road venues. So, and sure, I think all those games LSU could win. Like, they're all probably toss-ups in a neutral site, right? I think they're all good football yeah. games. But when you when all three of those on the road, and Texas, which I think you and I kind of both have a feeling LSU wins, but Texas is no joke no, next year. I they agree. Bring a I, lot I, of I think guys it's back. more likely than not, but that's why I put them. See, so, so like I said, I got Florida and Bama as the losses. And then to me, my trio is Texas, which is at home, which is nice. But then, like you said, on the road, Auburn, on the road, A&M. Uh, to 3-0 that, you're going to have to be really locked in. And with the question marks that we currently have, uh, well, they're capable. I don't know that I can sit here and say but I believe that they yeah. will. And you're really betting on basically if you're picking it over, like it's this simple. You're picking them to win two of those three. You're picking them to beat. In my head, it's LSU, Auburn, and A and M. But you, you make it. I understand you're changing a little yes. bit of Texas, but either way, you're betting on them to take two of those three road games, which is a lot to ask. I think most projections, which I'm not saying numbers are everything. Don't get mad at me, but I, I think that. Numbers would suggest LSU is probably going to win one of those three games just on a pure probability yes. point of view. So nine and three is probably the most likely scenario. And what makes this all so hard, which probably makes us a dumb bet to even touch, but I understand that's not how we humans work, is that LSU, we don't know anything about them. It's completely an unproven return, 127th in the country in returning production team. So you don't, they might be really good and win 10 or 11, or they might be really, like, they could be bad. It's not unheard of to think. They could go 8-4 and four next year and not be shocking. And it's also the, the last thing I'll say is if LSU went 9-3 and three with that schedule, that team probably finishes number 8 in the AP poll. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not a bad season. Wins. Auburn was one of the... Auburn was one of the best teams in the country last year, and they went 9-3. and three. That's just how the SEC West works. The so, only thing about uh, it, though, as far is, as rankings would go, Brody, is that with being so back heavy, right? Like, 
uh, an Alabama loss would come on November 7th. If you were to lose to Auburn, that would be November 21st. A&M would be obviously Thanksgiving, the very end of the season. That could hurt any potential. Like Now, the bowl game get you back up there, but obviously when you lose matters as to where you're ranked. Just, 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 just some food for thought there. It's a really good point, yeah. No, I think it's a very important point, and I think we talked about that with Texas A&M, which I have a gut feeling we'll get to, but I mean that's one of the best examples because Texas A&M has, should be like – Texas A&M might be like 8-0 going into the Final Four and still finish 8-4. and You know, it's it's something like that. So, yeah, it's just a weird thing. And I think if I'm making a bet on this, I, I probably can't help but I think I take the – well, I think it's a stay away. But I guess you take the over if you have the 9 pushing no matter what. Like, I mean, if I you're an you LSU fan, that, like you said, nine, you just take the over because 9, you're safe. So why not? Just like just exactly. like bet and on you have plus odds. Now, a nine and a half, though. Okay, let's ask you this. If you're getting a nine and a half line, what do you do? I, I would think probably I'm take the under. the under. I've been saying nine and three bowl game pushes you to ten wins. So, I, I've, I've seen – Yeah, I think we, With, we, with the lack of, of new that. information, I'm um, – Yeah, I can't. I, I think I just have to stay consistent here. Uh, and then there's that the, – By the way, just for the sake of conversation, I'm not – I still think LSU wins these games. Do not mistake this. But, like – Mississippi State, I don't know if they're going to be any good, but you got Mike Leach, who I have a gut feeling. I don't think Mike Leach is going to be successful at Mississippi State by any means, but I do think over the next few years he's just going to be that coach who pulls like one or two upsets yes. a year just by being different, by like he's a good schemer. Like He's just going to pull some things out of his ass every few well, years. Will, like, so so will, I kind of think Will that, he be able to – I guess when you say you don't think he's going to be good, though, uh, will he be good by what the acceptable bar is at Mississippi State? Or you're just saying like he won't be good for what like <laughs> – That's the ultimate question. I mean like – because if you win eight games a year there, that that's a, that's a great job. Like like that. that yeah. You, you're, Dan Mullen was going to get a statue. Yeah. <laughs> so what yeah, do you think? Like, is he, um, he, I guess do you think he's capable of that Dan Mullen type return. Actually, yeah, I think seven and five, eight and four, kind of being like the consistent six and six and five and seven is mixed in there. But maybe the occasional breakout ten and two. I don't, I think that's possible. But it all comes down to can he recruit and. History says he probably can't recruit in the SEC, especially with Lane Kiffin in his state. I, I I think in the grand scheme of things, if I had to put money down, I assume Mike Leach will not be a success in overall building a program at Mississippi State. That's my assumption. But, okay. yeah, I think he can have like an 8-4 so eight, eight season. I don't know anything about recruiting. Um, Love but it. I did see me the, the other anyway. day that, uh, for what it's worth, Mike Leach yeah. did get it's like a, a top 100 quarterback or something in the 2021 class. So uh, now this was before he tweeted a picture of a noose and two of his players left. So he's been a little bit of hot water <laughs> since. Yeah. Uh, no, Mike, you're right. Mike needs to They've understand been that pretty meme, well. They have a t- memeing can be a double edged sword, right? It's hilarious, and we love you for it, but. It, the second you don't think about something, you go too far. You're you're gonna you know there's consequences. It's why most it's why most coaches choose not to step out at all. But uh, but yeah, Leach going to a little bit of controversy up there in Starkville. I guess he's in either you know as I've always said, you either die a hero or you meme long enough to see yourself become a villain. Yeah. And I mean, well, that's what Leach is currently having to deal with. Um, okay, so so I so the overall point stands though, and I'm in complete agreement with you. The thing about Mike Leach and his offense and his style is that he can punch up, which is why I think he's such a good Mississippi yes. State coach. Uh, he can play above his talent level, even if he's never going to be able to recruit that elite, elite talent level. So, yeah, I'm not too sketched out about next year, but 
like, yes, Mike Leach is going to land some punches that nobody's expecting him to and land a couple knockouts maybe once a year, once every two years. So do you want to jump around to some other schools real yep. quick? For, uh, win totals? All right. Alabama, 10.5. For the regular season? Who's going to be Alabama's quarterback? Yes. Well, it could be Mac Jones or it could be uh, Bryce Young, the Shit. incoming number that one player. does nothing in the for me. I don't know anything about either of those guys. Mac Jones played last Let's put it this way. You, have, you still have a pretty loaded receiving core. Yep. Mac Jones, first off, at a baseline level, has proven he's a pretty good quarterback. You yep. know what I mean? Like, it's funny how we judge Alabama by if you're not Tua, it's like a drop-off. Mac Jones is still probably better than like what A.J. Well, McCarran I was going to say, was, in a world where example, Tua doesn't but... exist, people are obsessed with Mac Jones, <laughs> right? When it's like Coker and McCarran. <laughs> and actually, I'm a big exactly. Blake Sims truther. I think he was really good. But, uh, but yeah, so. That's our next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Blake Sims effect. No. So, yes, I agree with you. Yeah, you and also – and you and I also, I think, have agreed on this before that I think their defense is actually going to be really good next year because they were all, their front seven was all, except for Terrell Lewis pretty much, was all freshmen and sophomores. I mean, Alabama, for your front seven to be all freshmen, that's not normally the case. And all of a sudden now they get Dylan Moses back. Their front seven's all sophomores and juniors and experienced guys, seniors. All of a sudden that defense, I'm curious what the back end's going to look like with some newer names, but they should be a really good defense, you would hey, assume. Hey, uh... I'm a football guy, right? So that's I'm so smart with football that that's how I've been able to form this take. Um, but yeah, I agree. Alabama's defense is going to be good. Some, uh, yeah, I know it's it's controversial. I know you're out there listening. You probably hey, just, well, it's with the context of last year on your breaks. No, I know. I, I didn't even start that out trying to make fun last of you. Last year was a down. No, year. No, I know because I I am in agreement no, I know, with I know. you. I last year was a down year, but yeah, like uh, I I cannot. It doesn't matter if I knew a single player on the Alabama roster. Their resume and Nick Saban's legacy as such that I will always give them the benefit of the doubt. So if you're going to give me a 10.5 over-under total, uh, you said 10.5? I'll take yeah. the 11. Yeah, so this is tough, though, because I, I do agree. I think Alabama is probably the second or third best team in the country, right? But, at, you know, we've, you know they've had this weird run last, like, three seasons where they've had pretty awful schedules, right? This year, finally back to being pretty tough. They open with USC, and I know they should beat USC, and they should be favored by like a touchdown. But USC is going to be pretty. Are they okay? Because that's what I was wondering. Because I was about to say that Alabama always seems to schedule these teams, and they are good. And then, like when they run into them, they're like no longer (laughs) good anymore. Like Florida State. Yeah, like they're like. I mean, I kind of felt for Saban, although I hate saying this, but he's like. I mean, I don't know when we schedule them, they were good. I can't help that they like went into the garbage. But like SC, like again, you schedule that, you're like, and it still looks sexy on paper. But I mean, who is SC now in a year in which you had to go to the second page of two four seven to find where they finished in recruiting? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I think USC's trouble in the long run, to be very clear. But I think USC is going to be pretty good this year. Their, their offense should, with you know, a pretty good quarterback situation, loaded receivers, good offensive coordinator Graham Harrell. Like they should, I think they're like the preseason like top fifteen okay. or something okay. like that. I mean, I think they, I guess they, I bet they win the South, you know, in the Pac-12, for example. So I assume Alabama wins that game, but that's one tough one. Georgia Week Three is a brutal game, and Georgia again. We don't know what they'll be exactly, but I think Georgia's one of the four best teams in college football. So that's like a two versus three in the country or two versus four game. So that's two tough yeah. games. Then you got, well, you got uh, LSU. Alabama at LSU. 
LSU. That's three. A&M's a top 12 team going into the season. We'll see what they are, but still, I get it. Regardless of what you think At about home A&M, against Brian preseason yeah, ranking. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I, you're right. I'm, I'm so just saying. Like, A&M. I'm just saying if I'm we're counting low. games, if we're counting games that are clearly yeah. challenging. So that's four right there that are probably top okay. 20, top 15 games. And then the Iron Bowl when all rules are off and anything can happen. So that's five like genuine top 15 games. So I it goes back to my point of one thing doesn't mean the other is false. I think Alabama might be the second best team in college football. I kind of the more I look at this, I'm talking myself into it. I think I would. I might even take an under bet in real life because I actually just good. Yeah, that's that's a lot Fuck of just Alabama, tough games. Brody. You might, they, <laughs> that's how I feel. This is like us record. This is us recording our trailer all over again. When you're like, say go Tigers, I'm like, no, I'm not gonna. Brody say that. just said it. Fuck Alabama. He took the LSU over Bama under Brody. You finally made it. You're a true dyed in the wool purple and gold LSU fan. How's it feel? Well, you know, I just want to say the Hoosiers do have an over under at oh, seven and a half, which is probably the highest go. in IU history. So. I'm not exaggerating. That's probably the highest preseason win total ever. I'm smashing um, the over. Bro. Anyway, I'm a big Hoosier believer. It's, even it's, though it's the big even though they you lost just the uh, even though they lost their strength staff. But hey, they got they sold the guy from the oh, Giants. Oh, now I get it. Now I get it. I see why you took the Alabama under. You're salty. <laughs> they took they they, they they took your strength. <laughs> wow, staff. that was well played. <laughs> Wow, didn't even think. For those that don't know, uh, Nick Saban did hire away the Indiana Strength staff for quite a bit of money. So uh, Brody's still upset about it. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Well played. Uh, no, look, in all seriousness, um, okay, it just so, comes to me. It's just the fact. Wasn't Alabama favored in like 70 games in a row or something stupid? Like they're like, yeah, yeah favored yeah. in every game since Nick Saban was born. So, yeah, I mean, I'll just always bet the over, take him to cover. And if you had done that, you're right more than you're not. Um, but yes, I always hope for Alabama to do as badly as possible. Let's talk about Georgia real quick, though, because I, I don't wait. know what to make of him. I know a lot of people are hyped on Newman, yeah. and I see why. But I see a Georgia team that's where LSU was two years ago. They're replacing, what, is it nine or ten starters? They got a new coach. I think technically ten. Ten yeah. starters, a new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, no spring ball to work with, no summer to work with, like... They got a hell of an expectation to live up to with more question marks than any team that I can remember that we all thought was going to be really good. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think we know the defense is going to be pretty good. Yeah. And I think I wonder if some of this is built in just the pure notion of like we're four years in on Kirby, right? Or maybe five. I think we pretty much are like clear in that, like, that Kirby Smart's going to have a good football team. Yeah, thank you. I think we're pretty clear now that Kirby Smart's going to have a good, talented football team every year, the way they're recruiting all these things. You know the talent's there. And I think the optimism is purely might be based in, and understandably so, that they finally changed their offense. They're finally going into a modern offense, so it's like, oh, you have this talent, and you finally catch up offensively. They should have a huge ceiling. Jamie Newman, obviously, we'll see what we can be. That, I mean, well, he'll be. I mean, I think there's probably more failure quarterback transfer stories than successes. So you never know. But anyway, I just think I understand where it comes from, that if it actually clicks, they might be the number one team in the country. And if it doesn't click, they might be, like, number 12. You I just, just Yeah, and, and, and you're right. And so I guess it just becomes, to me, they're just this fascinating, volatile roster. Like, they, they can truly go – Either way, um, but the only thing is the expectation level is so high that if it does go badly, it's going to feel a lot worse than it actually should. Like if you're just being objective and you're like, Absolutely. we're replacing 10 starters. 
Like, what do you want us to do? Like, you need a little time for this thing. Exactly, and I think that's actually a key point, that if LSU goes 9-3, and three, as we just debated at length, with that schedule, with the SEC West and Texas and coming off a championship, 9-3 and three puts you in the top 10, and no one's really on Ed Ogeron's back if they go 9-3. and three. Yeah. No one at all. If Georgia and the SEC East goes 9-3, and three, which they're, just for the record, their win total bet is 10, according to Caesars right now. If Georgia goes 9-3, and three, that looks like a failure, right? I mean, that just looks like you completely failed. And Ann Kirby's starting to get this probably unfair but reputation building right now that you know maybe he's not a, a guy who can win. You know, he's, he's done all this with Georgia, but he can't get over the gap, all those things, which I think are nonsense, it's, but that's not it's, the point. If he goes 9-3, that will grow. It's the Marvin grow. Lewis yeah. thing. You, you become a victim of your own success. Right, like Marvin Lewis makes well the, the playoffs every year with the Bengals, and like that in and of itself should be celebrated. But the just raw, bitter disappointment of getting there and then doing absolutely nothing eventually becomes your worst enemy. Like you'd be better off just being <laughs> terrible and then making the playoffs once every four years. <laughs> so, as you know, as you could probably tell, I like to view looking at a win total bet by just looking at how many games are actually losable, and then you just do the probability yeah. from there right so open with virginia i mean there'll be a two point two score favorite there but virginia's proven last year to be a pretty well-run tough team so that you never know with that okay you got but i'm not gonna count no that. we're not Georgia, about no Alabama, i love it i love one. it i do because i really liked virginia's story beating virginia tech last year it was awesome like i yes, like the way it was they one play. of my favorite like, things yeah, about but, college football uh, no but we're not counting it okay so you got bama that's one auburn yeah. two florida three yeah, no, Kentucky. No, 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 no. no. I'm mean, like Kentucky. Okay, I won't. I won't do Is it. it like but I think Kentucky. Um, so that's Cormac three. That wasn't he terrible last year when he did play? Well, I think Lynn, Lynn Bowden's back. Oh, isn't I, he? for some reason I thought Lynn Bowden was gone. Um, let me try to figure out. Let me try to figure out. I, I don't I know. Just back. okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Am I a terrible? No, reporter? no, no, no. Maybe right. not. Maybe not. Anyway. Maybe not. My bad. Right. No. Anyway, you are not a terrible reporter. <laughs> uh, your your reporter status does not hinge on whether or not Lynn Bowden is back. Um, I'm seeing Lynn. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing Lynn Bowden as inter- so. Wait, wait, wait. We just got word. Breaking news. He is gone. Lynn Bowden is entering the NFL draft. Uh, they, no, I'm I, like I, I guess I guess he announced back. I'm just right. happy these moments have 45 minutes. In the show. Um, anyway, so we're not counting that. No, so I think so, so, yeah, we're not counting. You know I mean, because there's a like, right. point there. So three, okay. At that point, you look at it that way. Three of those games are challenging. Just with Georgia, I assume they win two of the there three. Ooh, ten's a good line, but I th- okay. Well, the question, okay, the question's pretty simple. Do you think they beat Florida? That's what it all comes down to for both their win mm. number and for Florida's win number because Florida is also ten and they're, they're in the swamp. I um, or no, they're not. They still no. They play the neutral site. Uh, I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> Nailed it. I was just looking at the schedule. Big day for um, us. I'm gonna say I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay consistent. I, I think Florida's the best <laughs> team in the East. So no, I don't think they beat Florida. You and I agree. I trust Dan Mullen a little, which is probably nonsense to a lot of people, but I think you and I have been like Dan Yeah, Mullen's. I hate him. Our biggest problem with this podcast him. is we yeah, agree too much. Yeah. <laughs> well, we could talk more about how yeah, Miles uh, Brennan is the most yeah. valuable player on LSU. That was good. <laughs> I enjoyed that, actually. That was a good clip. Um, but, yes, okay, because then you go to Florida, right? They have, if you look at their challenging games, it's actually, they go five games into the year without any they should lose. They have LSU. They have Georgia. They have wow, that's and then they have Florida State, which they should yeah. win that. Wow, so Florida has 
Florida has a better chance if you're just looking at schedule and things like that than Georgia does. Florida's in a good spot, man. Whew. But also, you, you mentioned it's a big year for Kirby. If you think that's it's a toss-up. It's a big up. year for Dan Mullen, no? Or, or may, maybe not because it's so early on, but I feel like with that favorable schedule, uh, which, you know, whatever, anything in the SEC, favorable is kind of such a weird word to use. It's tricky, um, yeah. But, like, I, I feel like he kind of has a little bit to prove over. We know he can punch up. And what he's done immediately of Florida has been impressive. But I guess when you're a great coach, unrealistic expectations are going to be thrust upon you. And eventually he's going to have to answer the question of, can he make them into, like, a legitimate national title contender? Absolutely. I mean, he's going to ha- if he loses the Georgia again this year – he won't be in trouble or anything like that. He's been an undoubtable success. I mean, there's yeah. there's no doubt about that. But if he loses to Georgia again, that's three years where suddenly his entire like thing that hovers over him is can't beat Kirby Smart. Yeah. He's one step below Kirby Smart. So it's I'm not true. saying it'll be a thing this year, but 2021 when they meet, it's going to be the thing over his head all 2021 if they're going into that season of can he actually get past Kirby Smart because he doesn't have excuses anymore. But anyway, yeah, we're getting ahead of two ourselves. Athens in 2021. Oh, wait, no, never mind. That, that's funny. Yeah, true. So, okay, well, here's my takeaway then. I'm not sure how I feel about that game, but if we're doing the probability thing, right, we're looking at these schedules and how we feel about this, I'm going Florida over just because there's probably more scenarios in which they get over. Than you heard it here first. The Hold That Podcast Even, podcast. We love the Gators. Uh, we're split on the Tide. We love the Tigers, and we hate the Bulldogs. Bam. Damn, it. we did it. And the SEC is figured out now. That's why we're in this business. If we don't yeah. play the season, you can just take that all as uh, <laughs> law. Everything that we said will end up coming true. Um, all right, Brody, we are here at the end of the podcast. Uh, my wife uh, desperately needs a break. She's been incredible as I've been working all day, taking care of our daughter. So I'm going to take over. Um, anything else to add as we're on the way out here? Uh, no, I mean, are you about to have a cocktail? What's your status? Uh, I finished a cocktail about halfway through. It um, improved my mood considerably. I told you I've been in the doldrums a little bit all day. I noticed. Uh, so I'm feeling. We didn't mention that to I'm our feeling, listeners, but yeah, we, yeah, we had a little we, whiskey. We had a little whiskey. whiskey. It was quite yeah. tasty. Um, so this is the part of the show where I remind you to sign up for The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Uh, get those great sign-up deals. Spend a cup of coffee a month. You, you've probably forgotten what it's like to go to a website with no ads trust me when i tell you it is so incredibly refreshing it's on your computer your phone whatever it's great all your favorite teams really talented sports writers go to the athletic um and then also buy your meats at a bear specialty meats of uh, specifically in jefferson highway in baton rouge <laughs> that is that is the one a bear meats that i want you to buy your meat from and if you do we'll be best friends forever that's where this podcast was formed over Pepper Jack Cheese Pope Boys, and look at us now. We're on the athletic, Brody. It's true. We, we did it. Man, I'm pretty that Those now, Pepper Jack yeah. Cheese egg rolls, I got to get you one of those dipped in a little uh, sweet and sour sauce. Ooh. Mm. All right, y'all. I'm about to say my stomach's rumbling. Everybody have a great day. To hold that podcast, podcast, rate it, review it, share it with your friends, and we'll see you next week.